Take out your Bibles this morning and turn uh, to the book of 1 Samuel once again. 1 Samuel 23, verses uh, 1 through 29 this morning. Uh, 1 Samuel 23, 1 through 29. If you're using the Pew Bible, it's page 245. 245. You'll see the title of the sermon today is uh, Modus Operandi. It's Latin. Uh, you probably use that term. Sometimes you maybe shorten it to, you know, the M.O. or something like that, M.O. And uh, typically, it, well, M.O. means modus operandi. So if you don't know that you, you've, if you use that, you didn't know it. That's, what it, that's what it is. It's Latin. And it simply just means the mode of operation, the normal way of doing things. The actual definition of modus operandi, uh, the, it, the definition you'll find in the dictionary is a particular method of doing something especially one that is characteristic or well-established. Um, for a couple of years, I worked for Blockbuster Video. Um, if you ever went to the Blockbuster Video in uh, 1996 or 1997 in Zachary, I was in there, and I was one of the assistant managers. Uh, and I was an assistant manager that my manager put over training other employees. Uh, and it's interesting that she did that because we had a manual that we were to follow, but I didn't use the manual. I learned the way that I was supposed to, and then I developed what came to be known in blockbuster circles as the Kelly method. Because I took the manual and realized that most of it was junk and it needed to be thrown out, and I developed my own ways of doing things. And so whenever the regional manager would come through blockbuster and evaluate how we were doing, he would notice how things were being run in our store, and he would say, this isn't the way the book says. And they say, no, we use the Kelly method. And so I was introduced to the regional manager, and he said, what is this Kelly method? And I showed him, and he said, that's not how we want it done. And I said, well, this is how it should be done. This is a better way of doing things. And I eventually, I was trying to get the uh, national people to recognize that the way that I was doing it was better and to no avail, which is one reason why Blockbuster is closed today. I guarantee you they should have used... <laughs> The Kelly method. See, I had my modus operandi that was different than the modus operandi of the corporate people at, uh, at Blockbuster. Now, in this passage today, we see the normal mode of operation for Yahweh, how he operates, how he works. Um, and, and really, in this passage, we see kind of this small little microcosm of the way that God works throughout history. Things often look bleak for God's people but he rescues them. He rescues them when they least expect it. And that's often when Yahweh will act. And today, Yahweh is going to give uh, the people the king, or he's going to continue to show that he's giving them the, the king that they need, not the one that they deserve. And that's good news for us because we get the king we need, Jesus Christ, not the one that we deserve. So let me read this for us. I'm going to read uh, all 29 verses of it. This is God's good and kind and gracious word for you this morning. Now they told David, Behold, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah and are robbing the threshing floors. Therefore David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, Go and attack the Philistines and save Keilah. But David's men said to him, Behold, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more if we go to the Keilah against the armies of the Philistines? Then David inquired of the Lord again, and the Lord answered him, Arise, go down to Kilo, for I will give the Philistines into your hand. 
And Philistine and his men went to Keilah and fought with the Philistines and brought away their livestock and struck them with a great blow. So David saved the inhabitants of Keilah. When Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, had fled to David, to Keilah, he had come down with an ephod in his hand. And it was told Saul that David had come to Keilah. And Saul said, God has given him into my hand, for he has shut himself in by entering a town that has gates and bars. And Saul summoned the people to war to go down to Keilah to besiege David and his men. David knew that Saul was plotting harm against him, and he said to Abiathar, the priest, bring the ephod here. Then he said to David, Then said David, O Lord, the God of Israel, your servant has surely heard that Saul seeks to come to Keilah to destroy the city on my account. Will the men of Keilah surrender me into his hand? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O Lord, the God of Israel, please tell your servant. And the Lord said, He will come down. Then David said, Will the men of Keilah surrender me and my men into the hands of Saul? And the Lord said, They will surrender you. Then David and his men, who were about six hundred, arose and departed from Keilah. And they went wherever they could go. When Saul was told that David had escaped from Keilah, he gave up the expedition. And David remained in the strongholds of the wilderness and the hill country of the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul sought him every day, but God did not give him into his hand. David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horish. And Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horish and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul my father also knows this. And the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. David remembered, remained at Horish, and Jonathan went home. Then the Ziphites went up to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is not David hiding among us in the strongholds at Horish on the hill of Hakilah, which is, the, which is south of Jeshmon? Now come down, O king, according to all your heart's desire, to come down, and, and our part shall be to, to surrender him to the king's hand. And Saul said, May you be blessed by the Lord, for you have had compassion on me. Go make yet more sure, know and see the place where his foot is, and who has seen him there, for it is told me that he is very cunning. See therefore and take note of all the lurking places where he hides, and come back to me with sure information. Then I will go with you. And if he is in the land, I will search him out among the thousands of Judah. And they arose and went to Ziph ahead of Saul. Now David and his men were in the wilderness of Moan, in the, in the Arabah to the uh, south of Jeshimon. And Saul and his men went to seek him, and David was told, so he went down to the rock and lived in the wilderness of Moan. And when Saul heard that, he pursued after David in the wilderness of Moan. Saul went on one side of the mountain, and David and his men on the other side of the mountain. And David was hurrying to get away from Saul. As Saul and his men were closing in on David and his men to capture them, a messenger came to Saul, saying, Hurry and come, for the Philistines have made a raid against the land. So Saul returned from pursuing after David and went against the Philistines. Therefore, that place was called the Rock of Escape. And David went up from there and lived in the strongholds of the Engedi. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's ask for the Lord's help in understanding this word today. Father, we thank you for giving us this word today. And we thank you for all the things that you will teach us from your word. I pray, Lord, that it would not be merely instructive, but it would go down deep into our hearts. And that we would be reminded just how much you love your people. 
pray that you would encourage us this day with your word, and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So this passage, I want to look at it in three ways. It breaks up kind of nicely into three different sections. Um, The first section is a section of what I'll call discouragement in verses 1 through 14, discouragement. Um, So David is alone. Uh, Well, not really alone. He's got 600 fighting men with him. He's got a priest, but he's in the wilderness. He's running away from Saul. And amazingly, he gets this message that there's a city of Jerusalem or a city of Israel that is being attacked by Philistines, by the Philistines. It, he is not the king. He is not in charge. This isn't his fight. This is not his battle. But what does he do? Well, he says, we're going to go and save the city of Keilah because the Lord told him to do it. That's how David operates. When the Lord tells him to do something, he obeys and he goes and he does it. But his men are fearful and afraid. And so they say, should we really go? And David inquires of the Lord again. And the Lord says, yes, go. I will give them into your hands. And they go. And they defeat the Philistines. It's a pretty good route because they take all of their possessions and their livestock. It's a, it's a good victory for them. And I, I'm amazed by this because you see the character of David in this. Um, I think about a year ago, two years ago, the Marines, um, and let me say as a um, side note, that the armed forces of the United States have the best marketing people. I mean, they pay tons of money for really good marketing. The Marines have this incredible commercial. And it, it starts with, your, your I think close up is how it starts on, on the face of a man who is is breathing real heavy and he's sweating and you can tell he's got on a helmet and then it pans back and you and it shows behind him running toward a dark cloud and and you know your heart starts beating and he's running toward something that's scary and then it pans out further and you see a, a whole a group of troops that are running toward this scary thing and then it comes up and it says do you run toward the sound of chaos And your heart's beating and you think to yourself, am I the kind of person that runs to the sound of chaos? Do I run toward danger or do I run away from it? David is a first responder of the best sort. When he hears of danger, he runs toward it. That's an amazing thing to see here, the the heart of David. He's like our Marines that run toward the sound of chaos makes me very thankful for men and women who will give up their lives and run toward that danger. Um, So David goes. They have this great victory. And they're there. They're enjoying the victory. And then he gets word that Saul has heard that they're in Keilah. That Saul is coming to attack. Now they're in a fortified city. They're in a city that uh, in which they're pretty well protected. And so David's saying to himself, you know, Are the elders of this city going to give me up? I just saved them. Surely they would be loyal to me. But he says, you know, I have a priest here. The priest has an ephod, which, by the way, was the only one that was spared, the only priest that was spared with the only ephod. Nobody really knows what the ephod does, by the way. Um, It was something that the priest wore 
Uh, they wore it over uh, their, their tunic. It had 12 stones that represented the, the tribes of Israel. And on the inside of it, it had these weird rock things. And somehow or another, the priest, were, they were told by God to use these things to understand the will of God. And so um, the priest does that. He, he uses this ephod to understand the will of God. And God says, Saul is going to attack you. And then David says, well... Are the elders of Israel, are the elders of Keilah going to give me up? And he says, yes, they're going to give me up. So David has to hightail it out of there. All of his men, 600 men, all with him, they all scatter and spread just to save their lives. And they're going to meet up a little bit later. Now, there's a lot of things to learn in this. And you should understand David's heartbreak and his discouragement for just winning a victory for his own people. And yet they're not going to be willing to stay with him, to be loyal to him. They're going to give him up. David needs to learn something, that this is what Israel is like. Israel, the people of Israel, are fickle. And this has been the story from the very beginning of the Bible, that God's people do not follow God's chosen leader. That God's people will turn them in and turn their back on him. That is the story and the history of God's people. Um, in the book right before this one, in the book of Judges, this is, this, this is what happened with Samson. And it's an amazing thing that Samson was the, the judge of God's people, the defender, the, the champion of God's people. And yet they came to him and said, you know, Samson, you're great and all, but we can't stand against the Philistines. And Samson says, okay, give me up to them. And then, of course, he kills a thousand of them with with a donkey's jawbone. But this is the history of God's people. God's people don't want to follow God's appointed leader. God's people do not want to be obedient to the will of God. And David needs to learn that because he, as the king, the true king of Israel, needs to know the kind of people that he's dealing with. And it should remind you of another leader of God's people who was rejected and handed over, Jesus Christ, whose very own people said, crucify him, crucify him. David needs to learn this is what God's people are like. And it's an amazing thing, isn't it, that David learns what these people are like and what does he do? He stays with them. He doesn't desert them. If it were you or me, we would have deserted them a long time ago. But see, here's the thing. I don't want you to read yourself into this and say that I am the David figure here. Because you're not. You are not David in this part of the story. You are the people of Keilah who have given up your leader, your savior. That's what you are like as well. You and I need to understand that we are fickle just like they are. And what do we need? We need a savior that will stay with us. All right. That's the first thing we see is discouragement. David would have been massively discouraged by this. So what does he need? He needs encouragement. In verses 15 through 18, that's where we get the section of encouragement. How is he encouraged? So David is fleeing. He goes to the wilderness of Ziph. The wilderness of Ziph. Ziph, by the way, it's in his own tribal territory. David is of the tribe of Judah. It's, these are his people. These are his closest relatives, or uh, pretty close relatives. Um, this, is like, this is like if you live in Clinton and are from Clinton, 
like the people that you're related to in Jackson. Okay, it's like that, right? Maybe you don't like them, but you're at least related to them, okay? That's what it's like. And David is with his own people. He is among his own people, and he's discouraged. Now, Saul has been pursuing him. Saul has been trying to find him. And you get that little note um, at the very end of verse 14. Saul sought him every day, but God did not give him into his hand. But then, amazingly, Saul's son, Jonathan, can just go right to him. There's a miracle that's happening here. There's an amazing thing that's happening that, that Saul can't find him, but Jonathan can. Is Jonathan smarter than Saul? Is he just that much better a tracker than Saul? Well, no. Why does Jonathan find David? Because God wants Jonathan to find David. This is all part of God's design, God's plan. He is keeping Saul from David, and David would have been massively encouraged by that, but also encouraged because his friend, his good friend Jonathan, comes to him. And we're told what Jonathan does whenever he sees his friend, whenever they get together. He strengthened David's hand in God. That's what my translation says. That's that's literally what the Hebrew says, that he strengthened his hand in God. That he gave and imparted to David a strength that David did not have in and of himself. You ever get that sometimes when you're weak and you don't have any energy and a friend comes to you? And they just visit with you for a while and all of a sudden you feel better. You're, you're given a strength and a renewed vigor that you didn't have before. Well, that's what Jonathan does. Jonathan renews David's strength in God by his presence with David. He renews his strength by his reminders and he renews his strength in his loyalty. He helped David regain all of that power and energy by simply being there with him. It's a good reminder to us as well that sometimes we need people just to be with us. And then he also renews David by the things that he says. In verse 17 he says, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul my father also knows this. The words that he uses are important there. It's not as though... Jonathan is doing what we do so often when we go to encourage a friend. Things are really bad. Things are looking bleak. And what do we say? Oh, everything's going to be okay. It's all going to be all right. Oh, you just need to trust that God is going to take care of you. Those aren't the things that Jonathan says. What Jonathan literally literally says is the things that God has revealed in his word to Jonathan. That David is going to be king. Jonathan says, you know what, David? You have a sure promise from God. You will be king, and nothing is going to stop that. You might fear for your life right now, but guess what? Nothing is going to happen to you. God has said you are going to be king, and you will be king. He says to him, um, he says, I'm going to be next to you. That's not a sort of way to say, you know, I'm going to do you a favor, and you're going to give me this benefit. No, he's saying, and it's not as though he's saying, I'm going to rule with you. What he's saying is, David, I am for you. I am with you. I'm going to be with you. That's his loyalty. And he says, Saul, my father, also knows this. Saul knew that he was not the true king. Saul knew that God had withdrawn himself from him. And so Jonathan reminds David what the word of God says, how he has revealed it. 
He encourages David with the truth. So Jonathan is God's means of encouraging David. God uses means, intermediary means, to accomplish his goals. Here's what that means. He uses his people to do what he wants. So you are someone else's encouragement. You are responsible to go to those who are hard hurting and sick and who, who need an encouragement. God is using his people to be an encouragement to his people. And it's a wonderful thing to be reminded of that here. David needs encouragement. There's somebody in your life that needs encouragement. You are that encouragement. Go to them. Go to them. Here's the reality about discouragement. David was going to be king, and yet he was still rejected. David was anointed already as the king by God, and yet he was still suffering and living in caves and had no place to lay his head or anything like that. That's who David was. He was king and yet suffering. You and I need to be reminded that as God's people, we will suffer. Things are not rosy for God's people once we come to him, once we have been given faith. That has never been the promise. That is not the truth of God's word. As a matter of fact, for most people, once they become Christians, what they find out is life is a lot harder. And that's by design because as, we, as God brings hard things into our life, he shows us the things that are important and the things that are not. He reminds us of the things that we really need and the things that we don't. And he teaches us more and more that when we came to him the first time, it wasn't the last time we would need to come to him. But as Christians, we stay with him because he makes us dependent upon him. Now, much of our discouragement is our own doing. A lot of the times when I'm discouraged, it's because of when I'm lazy and I'm selfish and those sorts of things. But that's not why David was discouraged here. David was discouraged by nothing of his own doing, but everything because God wanted it to happen. So that he would be encouraged. So that he would be strengthened by a friend. So that he would have the strength to face another day. God wanted all of these things for David. Now here's the greatest encouragement, the greatest truth that you can have, and the greatest thing that you can remember. If you're discouraged today, there is a God, you are not him. There is a God. You are not him. You don't got this. You can't handle this life. There's nothing that you can do apart from God's grace and goodness to you. You don't have it, but he does. Most of our discouragement comes when we forget that we are not God. Be encouraged today. God is for his people. Finally, we see deliverance in verses 19 through 29. 19 through 29. Uh, and you get this section that, about the Ziphites. And the Ziphites go, he's in the land of Ziph and, and among his cousins. And his cousins go to Saul and they give, they give David up to Saul. And they say, Saul, you know, David's with us. We don't know why they do this. But somehow they thought they would gain. They thought David was maybe a troublemaker. If we just give up cousin David... Everything will go better for us. And so David's own family turns their back on him. David's family turns their back on him. 
And so they go to Saul. Saul says, great, look, go back. Tell me exactly where he is. He's really cunning. He hides from me really well. Tell me exactly where he is. Come back and tell me. And then I'll go and find him. Uh, But don't skip over that too quickly. That his own family, that his own friends, that his own people gave him up. Does that sound like anybody else? Maybe somebody like Judas Iscariot, who looked at Jesus Christ, the Savior of Israel, and sold him for 30 pieces of silver. And again, I want you to think about this and recognize that you aren't King David in this story. But you are the Ziphites who would give up your king for something so small as, as 30 pieces of silver, as, as a little bit of recognition. And then you get these tense moments that are happening um, as, as David hears that Saul's after him, Saul comes after him, and then there's this mountain that is between them. Uh, and you kind of get this, this picture of the two different armies, and they're on either side of the mountain. And, and Saul is pursuing, and David is going down one side of the mountain, and, and Saul and his army are going down the other side of the mountain. And maybe, maybe Saul has somebody on top of the ridge, and he's looking down, and he's giving instruction and saying, they're still going, they're still going, so that Saul would pursue. Saul knows that if he goes up the mountain that he'll, he'll lose ground on David, and so maybe he's hoping that at some point that there's these two valleys that they're in are going to meet up. And they can have the, the battle there. And that's what it looks like is going to happen. If this were a movie, this would be the most tense part of the movie so that the, the music would amp up and we would all feel that tension and we'd be wondering what's going to happen, what's going to happen, what's going to happen. And then at the last moment, at the very last moment, Saul gets a message from some random messenger that just shows up. And he says, Saul, you have to stop this madness. The Philistines are attacking Israel. The Philistines are attacking. Stop pursuing David. It's an amazing thing that happens. He just randomly shows up in the midst of a pursuit. And Saul has to stop what he's doing to go and attack the Philistines. Now, David escapes. David is free. David is fine after this. But think back to the beginning of this chapter. David went and saved Keilah from who or whom? The hands of the Philistines. God used the Philistines in order to show David is the king. And now he's using the Philistines in order to spare David's life. God is using the Philistines to attack his own people so that their king will be spared God uses the enemy of Israel to preserve Israel's king. This is Yahweh's M.O. He does the most unexpected thing to do the most unexpected things. This is how he operates. David has to trust that God is going to take care of him. David has to trust that he will do all that he has promised. And David does trust He believes that God is going to take care of him. God gives life from death just as he gives death from life. It looks like David was going to die because Saul was going to attack and they were going to be dead. And yet God brought life from that. That's what God does. He brings life from death. And this should remind you all throughout of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Except that 
King Jesus was not spared at the last second. At the last moment, when he cried out from Yahweh, when he cried out for help from Yahweh, quoting the Psalms, Yahweh did not answer. God did not answer him. And instead poured his wrath on his son, the wrath that we deserve. You and I need to understand the reason why God spares us the way that he does is because he did not spare his only son. Your hope today is not in your cunning, in your ability to do things. Your hope today is not in your anything that you have. It's only in Jesus Christ. I hope he is your hope today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for giving us this message, and we thank you for operating the way that you do in surprising and shocking ways. Lord, we don't understand your ways. Your ways are indeed mysterious, and yet we know that you are at work to save a people, to call a people for yourself. We thank you for sparing King David and for not sparing Jesus so that we could be spared. Lord, I pray that you would help us to trust in him today in Christ's name. Amen.